In March of 2019, a self-proclaimed Satanist murders a man. The details of the murder are brutal, but the most shocking of all is where it occurred, in a California state prison. He was tortured as a child and as an adult did unto others as was done unto him. He's confessed to four murders. He's currently serving life for one. This is the unbelievably true story of a killer who called himself the man of a thousand faces. This is Jamie Osuna, the tattooed sadistic killer. Hey y'all, I'm Chris Calvert. And I'm her husband, Rob Potter. Welcome to Hitch to Homicide. For better or worse. Till death do us part. Everybody. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You didn't even try to do it in a foreign language today. I did, I did. That was for my Canadian friends. <laughs> <laughs> You're bad. Oh, well. You're so bad, I swear. Well, I gotta get my Canadian friends in there. there. I know, and you have Canadian friends. Yeah. A? You have to say A. I have uh, Canadian friends, A. House. In the house, all about. (laughs) We love you, Canada. We do love you. Well, wherever you're listening, like, rate, and review, that helps other people to find us. Mm -hmm. You can go join our closed Facebook group, Mm -hmm. the In-Laws and Outlaws, the Hitch to Homicide In-Laws and Outlaws. And I know we say this every week, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I love that group so hard. (laughs) They're so funny. Well, and I'm finally finished with my – I was doing two – Writing two cruise line shows for MSE uh, Cruise Lines, and it just consumed all of my time. Now that I don't have it to do, I can get into the Hitch to Homicide In-Laws and Outlaws group and participate a little bit more. He's he's just trying to tell you, y'all, he's been really busy. Yeah, it's been a little crazy. He's been busy. That's okay. Busier than a moth in a mitten. Yep, keeping the lights on. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) No, just saying. (laughs) Well, I'm going to jump right into this one today. Um, This case is crazy. These murders are so brutal Mm. that the police didn't give all the details. That's how bad it was. This is ongoing. I will have to do a follow-up on this. (laughs) But when I started doing research on Jamie Osuna, I was like, it really can't be that bad. And then I pulled a picture up, and everybody's going to go pull a picture up of him right now. Because we always get that comment as soon as I, I start talking. Say, what is this guy? What does this shithead look like? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, this guy is... Mm, Creepy. He's that and uh, he's all that and a bag of chips. Mm, okay. <laughs> he's, he's a he's lot. He's creepy chips. Yeah. Well, he's a Satanist and mm. he he has it all over his face. He's got a pentagram on his forehead and all yeah. that kind of good stuff. That but stuff just kind of creeps me out. I know Rob does not like anything demonic yeah. at all. He won't watch scary movies yeah. with me that have anything to do with demons. Of course, I watch every horror movie and we're about to like roll right into the fall season and mm. all the horror movies. I love them all. If you have any suggestions for me, send them my way because some of the best horror movies – are like B movies that mm-hmm. don't get a whole lot of press. So I'm I'm always up to to watch anything. In fact, maybe that's what I'll do. I will start watching some horror movies and in the podcast I'll give my recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> just through just through Halloween. Just through Halloween. Maybe we can go watch my first film that I ever did back in the nineties. That is a horror movie. <laughs> and it that is a horror movie in so many ways. It's so and bad. I don't even think we should tell people the name uh, of it. So it's just terrible. It's awful. It's hey, embarrassing. We all We've all done things. You were young. You needed needed the the money. money. I was waiting for it. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Well, before I get started today, I want to thank some sources. KRON-TV in California, Wikipedia, Newsweek, 
bakersfield.com, kget.com, and Danielle Kirsty on YouTube. And there is a fascinating podcast about this case on kget.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did not listen to all of it. I will put it in my um, source notes because there were a few things that I took from it, but I didn't listen to the whole thing. But you know what? Podcasters have to support podcasters, and right. I will put it. I'll put a link in there if you want to do. If you want to do an even deeper dive. Okay. Well, let's do it. Jamie Osuna is born on March seventh, nineteen eighty-eight, in Bakersfield, California. I have jeans older than this killer, <laughs> well, nineteen eighty-eight, and I have shoes that are older than your jeans. <laughs> So there you go. I one up you. 1988. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Bakersfield, California is where he grew up. His mama's name is Michelle. He's got an older half-brother. His dad really isn't in the picture most of his life. His parents get married about a year before he's born. Um, they don't have a name for his father anywhere. I couldn't find his name anywhere. He's going to be raised mainly by his mother, who is 19 years old oh, when wow. she has him. Wow. So a baby having a baby. Yeah. But his biological dad, one thing that we do know about him is that he is very abusive to his mother. Hmm. And there's a story that his biological dad kicked his mom in the stomach when she was about eight months pregnant with Jamie. Jeez. So not a nice guy. Right. And you've heard nature versus nurture. Well, Mm -hmm. Jamie Osuna gets the short end of the stick on both accounts. I've never seen anything quite like this. But Jamie's mom is also absent in his life a lot. She divorces Jamie's dad and meets another man whom she marries. His name is Jeff. But it's out of the frying pan and into the fire with this Jeff guy. And Jamie's biological dad doesn't like Jeff. He holds a knife to Jeff's throat, and he's eventually arrested. So the home life is just crap all the way around. And it was kind of like, I don't want my family, but I don't want you to have my family either. Wow. But biological dad is now out of the picture. Sorry to keep calling him that, but I didn't have a name. Mm-hmm. And Michelle— Let's Ma- just call him bio dad. Bio dad. Well, bio dad's <laughs> out of the picture now. There you go. And Michelle marries Jeff. But Jeff didn't want to take care of the two boys, Jamie and his half-brother. He was not a good stepfather. Mm. So, again, kind of out of the frying pan and into the fire sort of thing. Jamie's childhood is very rough. Jeff abused the boys. And in one of the incidents, Michelle and Jeff go on a fishing trip. They take little Jamie with them. And on the way home, mind you, he's a baby. Right. He's in a car seat. He's crying. He keeps crying from the back seat. That's what babies do. Yeah. Babies cry. That's their job. But Jeff wants him to shut up. So while they are driving, while the car is moving, Jeff opens the door. He pushes Jamie in the car seat out of the moving car. What? He throws this infant child out of the car. Oh, my God. Inside his car seat. Now, Jamie survives. He has no, quote, visible injury, according to his mom later on. So Michelle and Jeff don't take him to be checked out. It's kind of like, looks okay. I guess he's okay. Guess he's, you know. And later in life, doctors are going to say, he probably had a closed head injury. You think? I would imagine. (laughs) Oh my God! A baby being pushed from a from a moving car, yeah. get thrown out in his car seat, which Jeez. kind of made me think of um, raising Arizona. Yeah, you know, know, that's the, the first <laughs> thing I thought of too. <laughs> you know, the baby's in the car seat, yeah. in the middle of the road, yeah. and the biker guy comes flying by and is like picks him up in one fell swoop. Yeah. That and, is such a bizarre movie, but so funny. <laughs> I know. We need to get that. Also. And forgive me, what year was this again? So he's born in 1988. So this is like 1989, 1990. Yeah, because baby car seats weren't, I mean, they were a little more secure, but they weren't like they are today. No, no. Well, they get, I think they get better every single year. Yeah. Yeah. So when he was tossed out with that car seat, yeah. Okay, whatever. Yeah. It's not like, it wouldn't be like a car seat today, or it's really not like the car seat when I was a kid and I would stand in the back seat and put my <laughs> arm behind my mom while yeah. she drove without a seatbelt. Welcome to the 70s. Yeah. I was laying on the back of the that little shelf where the back window is in the car. 
Yeah, this is why. Yeah, don't you remember all the uh, the station wagons where mm-hmm. you were like facing out? People were driving Pintos that like exploded on impact. Hey, my first car that I ever got was a Pinto wagon. Yeah, yeah. I dated a guy who had a Pinto wagon in high school. <laughs> Never even occurred to me that the whole thing could just go up in flames. But it was it was baby poop brown. I think this is why we always say our generation. Well, you're actually in the cutoff for a baby boomer, but yeah. I'm generation. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'm Gen X. And so that makes me we, you know, we were the latchkey kids. Everybody talks about the fact that we're tougher than everybody else. And, you know, we just don't care. And yeah, but that was that just to go back to my original point. That was my car seat was standing in the back seat. With my arm behind my mom right. while she would drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we were the we eat dirt generation. <laughs> and survived. And survived, yeah. <laughs> but back to his traumatic brain injury. I mean, they do think that he suffered some brain damage from that incident. And the older half-brother is also taking some abuse from Jeff. Jeff actually threw a fork at Jamie's brother and it stabs him like in the body. Ooh. And sticks there. <laughs> And half-brother, don't have a name for him either. Some of these names are out there, by the way, and a lot of these names people have asked for their name not to be used, so I'm just not using them. But half-brother at this point, he moves out and into the home of his grandparents. So we have bio-dad and half-bro. And half-bro. And half-bro moves in with grandma and grandpa. Okay. And from this point forward, Jamie's half-brother is going to do magnificently. Oh, really? Like, he becomes a productive, successful citizen of society. Like, he's a prominent businessman wherever hmm. he is. Okay. What Do you know what he did? No. Okay. No. I just know that he was a successful businessman. I think one of the sources said, you know, he, like, drives a sports car and he has a family and he's very active in his community. Once again, nobody wants to be this guy's even half-brother. Sure. So, but yes. He's he's like he's this great guy. So yeah. nature versus nurture, sure. right? Right. He got out, turned out great. So now Jamie has the brunt of all of Jeff's anger and abuse. Hmm. And Jeff and Michelle, because these two are so awesome, they actually have two children together. Okay. And he's a good dad to his own kids. Like Jeff is a really good father to his own children, but not to Jamie. Hmm. And the abuse gets worse. Like he was forced to watch the other two children and his mom and his stepdad eat at the dinner table while he sat at the table with nothing. Like he had to watch them eat. And when everybody else was finished, Jeff would put Jamie's food on the floor sometimes. Wow. It's kind of like Harry Potter. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. He would shut him out in the cold. He once tied him to a tree and whipped him. I read that he had an uncle that, like, threw a brick at his head. He's five years old while this is going on. These are all punishments. So, I mean, you have to think, where's the mom? Right. Well, at one point, she did call 911, and they arrest Jeff. And Jeff tells the police, well, I'm just kidding around. Yeah, it was just a joke. It wasn't anything big. That brick was just a joke. Well, the brick was a, was an <laughs> uncle. But the other stuff, I mean, he's beating him or he's, you know, chaining him to a tree and whipping him. And Jeff is charged with child cruelty. And he pleads guilty. And then he goes home to be with Michelle, their two children, and Jamie. So just a slap on the wrist. He pleads guilty. Go on home. Abuse the kids some more. So Jamie sort of turns to the streets. I mean, he's, he's kind of being raised by the streets. And when you are tortured as a kid, a lot of times you like to torture things as well. You like to do to other living things what's been done to you. Right. Jamie liked to torture the family cat, and I'm sorry if you're a cat person. If you're a cat person, just skip ahead 30 seconds. He would put this cat in the freezer for 15 minutes. Then he Mm. would take the cat out. Then he would put the cat into an oven for 15 minutes. Wow. Then he begins cutting himself. He's so disconnected from the world around him that he's cutting himself when he's 10 years old just so he can feel something. Wow. So he's had this horrific childhood. Believe me, I'm not taking up for this guy because when you hear everything that's going to happen, you're going to be like, whatever. Right. But he did have a horrific childhood. He was mistreated. He was abused. I mean, he was unloved. Now, maybe 
you know, because Michelle was being abused too, Mm -hmm. you know, he was abusing her as well. And she's admitted, I have heard her admit that she was a weak person. She has admitted that she didn't handle the situation well. Right. And I'm, that's that's, um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. I, you know, I'm not going to comment on that anymore. But we know that Jeff would whip Michelle with a belt Ugh. and then would pour salt into her open wounds. Oh, my. This guy is just. This is the this is the stepdad. This is just the stepdad. I was going to say, are we talking Satanist, the no. kid or new, this guy? Because <laughs> it sounds like yeah. he's got a little bit of. Yeah, this asshole. Yeah. Well, apparently, though, he's great to his own kids. Yeah, he's this... really nice to his own kids, which has to make it even harder, which is very yeah. much Harry Potter, yeah. where, you know, he's living under the stairs. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Adding insult to injury. Mm hmm. But by the time he's 12, Jamie moves in with his grandparents, so perhaps this is better? And the answer to that is no, because even though he's out of the abusive household, he's had 12 years of psychological damage, and Jamie has completely disconnected from the world. I also read that his grandfather really didn't want him living with him. So it's like nobody wants him. Why didn't his grandfather? I don't know. But it's at this age that Jamie becomes all consumed with the idea of killing someone. So he's tortured, you know, the cat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think he did kill the cat, too, but you would think after all of that. But he's becoming all consumed with killing. Mm. When he's 13, he claims to have murdered a woman. He's never been charged with this murder. He's confessed to it, and he seemed to know things about the body that was recovered that only the murderer would know. It's a little hard to believe that a 13-year-old could kill. The victim in question was a 27-year-old woman. But with Jamie, I think it's totally possible when you yeah. hear the rest of the story, you're going to say, yeah, I, mean, I think maybe that 13-year-old kid could have done this. Well, just the stuff that he's gone through in his life to this point mm-hmm. makes me go, yeah, he probably could. Yeah, he's at, I mean, is he acting out? Is, yeah. is he all, cons- you know, he just wants to kill. At the age of 15, he stabs another boy. Couldn't really find the story behind the stabbing, but he's, he's finally acting out on humans and getting caught. Because if he did kill at 13, at 15, you know, he's still doing it, but he just gets caught. He goes to juvie for four years. Okay. And apparently her son going to prison is the impetus for Michelle finally having the courage to leave Jeff. Okay. And Jeff's eventually going to have a heart attack and die while Jamie's in the juvenile detention center. I know, right? (laughs) Rest in peace. Sorry. There's also some evidence out there that Jeff himself was the product of an abusive childhood. Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, just the cycle keeps going on and on and on. Yes, and I looked this up. About 30% of abused and neglected children will later abuse their own children. Well, of course. That's, yeah. a, pretty, that's a pretty high number. Yeah. Yeah, you got to break that cycle. September 14th, 2007, when Jamie is 19, he's released from juvenile detention and he joins a gang. Mm. And I've read that gangs are pseudo families that give young people the family that they really need that they've never had. And several gang members who've been studied have said that being a part of a gang meant that you were never alone in the world, which is similar to how many people describe being part of a close knit family. Mm So gangs provide members this sense of belonging and protection. It's the kind of protection that they don't receive from other relationships or experiences in life. It's the perfect place for Jamie Osuna. Also in 2007, when he's 19, he apparently kills another woman in Kern County in an orchard. And here's what he said, quote, kind of don't want to get into that one because I was young at that age. And that part had to do with. How can I say this? A certain, what is that word? I was kind of like a protege, had a teacher, really. Wow. I don't want to go into that one because I was kind of guided on that one. I was kind of helped, end quote. Whoa. So somebody was like mentoring him to be a murderer? That's what he says. Wow. He says that he had a friend who believes as he does, shares the same desires that he does. Hmm. As a Satanist. Wow. A year later, in 2008, Jamie goes to a house party at the home of Jane. This is not her real name. I do know her real name. It's in the legal documents. But lots of people refer to her as Jane, so Mm. I will too. Okay. 
Jane is single and had worked as a psychiatric nurse in a prison. This woman must be a saint because I would think it's hard enough to work the psych unit as a nurse. But to add on top of the fact that she's dealing with convicted felons, rapists and murderers. And in fact, she retires because she was attacked by an inmate. She is so brutally attacked, her breast implant is ruptured, and a disc in her spine is herniated. Wow. I mean, that's like... Yeah, that's that's a brutal beating. That's a, that is a brutal beating, and it's kind of like one of my phrases is, no good deed goes unpunished, right. and she's in there trying to help these men, and this is what happens. Yeah. But Jane is throwing a party for her younger son in December of 2008, She'd provided alcohol for the party. She was partying, too. I think it was his 16th birthday. But her nephew didn't like that this younger boy was dancing with his aunt, who I believe is 37 at the time. Okay. So he enlists Jamie. He goes to Jamie and says, you know, who'll go scare off this guy? Who's going to get rid, you know, get this guy off of my aunt? (laughs) And Jamie's like, yeah, I'll do it. I volunteer. Uh And so he's on his way to do the scaring, and he takes a detour through the kitchen, and he gets himself a knife. A knife, yep. And he stabs this young guy who's dancing with Jane, which lands him back in jail for assault with a deadly weapon, and he's violated his parole. Jane, on the other hand, gets in trouble for supplying alcohol to minors, because as you might imagine, when a stabbing occurs in your house, the police show up. Yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. So she's in trouble. Jamie goes back to prison. He decides he wants to pursue Jane. He writes her letters, Hmm. and she writes them back. There is an 18-year difference. If she's 37. (laughs) He's 19. mm -hmm. This goes on for an entire year. And when Jamie is released in November of 2009, Jane meets him and picks him up from prison. She's waiting outside the door for him. He had gone into prison without tattoos, and he came out of prison very tattooed. All tatted up. On his face. Oh, that's hardcore. On his face. Wow. Yeah. I will post pictures of this in the in-laws and outlaws. It gets progressively worse. I mean, you you can see him now. He is still alive. I'll give you that. I mean, I'm not giving anything away. Right. This this asshole's still alive and kicking. So a job interview at Goldman Sachs is probably not in his future. <laughs> a job interview anywhere. I don't know. <laughs> he's he, and I think he does it to make himself look scary. I did read he's a little guy. He's like five seven. He's been tossed into jail. Did he did he have his face tattooed so he would look tough? Yeah. I don't know what happened to him in jail. I don't I mean some bad things could have happened to him in jail too. He's a sure. little guy. Sure. And he's a young guy. But she picks him up from prison. This is November 2009, and they go straight to a motel and spend the night together. Wow. And Jane thinks this is going to be a one-night stand. Right. But she gets pregnant. Uh-oh. Yeah. And when Jamie finds out that she's pregnant, he wants to be the father. He wants to be a father. That he never had. He wants to be the kind of dad that he never got. And he convinces Jane to give their relationship a chance. So he's very attentive to her while she's pregnant. And he proposes to her. And he says he's old-fashioned. He wanted to be married before the baby is born. Hmm. So in February of 2010, these two tie the knot. She's three months pregnant. Wow. And Jamie's grandmother's house is the place of the ceremony. They get they get married at the grandparents' home. The grandparents of the grandfather that didn't want him. To I think the, so. Okay. I don't know if it was maternal or fraternal. fraternal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because just because his dad's not in the picture doesn't mean that his dad's parents aren't in the picture. Sure. I don't know that for sure. Okay. But this marriage is going to be pretty short lived because he begins to be mentally and physically abusive to Jane. And it gets so bad that while she's pregnant that Jane calls the police, they're fighting and Jamie gets so angry that he grabs the urn with the cremains of Jane's mother Mm. and runs out of the house with her ashes, which will never be found again. Oh, wow. So he's obviously, he's just trying to hurt her where he thinks it will matter the most because she was really close to her mom. And she had taken the, the death of her mother very, very hard, but she calls the police 
They arrest Jamie, and now he's back in prison for domestic abuse. And, that, and it's no more juvie for him either. Well, no. That when he got right. out the first time, it was juvenile detention because right. he was 19 right. when he finished his – but when he stabbed the guy at the party for dancing with Jane, he's 19 years old, so he automatically went to jail, then got sentenced and uh, sent to prison. Okay. And right. when he comes out of prison is when he's all tatted up, which is right. why I said he's a little guy. So yeah. you don't really know right. maybe what happened in there. Okay. While Jamie is in prison, his son is born. He spends the next six months in prison. And then in February of 2010, he's out. And Jane takes him back. <laughs> she gets, She's going to give him another chance. I think she maybe uh, wanted to make it work for the baby. Okay, whatever. By this time, Jamie is using meth which is fueling his anger and, and exacerbating his psychological scars. It's making a bad person a worse person. Right. He's more violent, and the abuse keeps happening. Jane is becoming numb to all of it, which made Jamie mad because he wanted a reaction. He wanted her to be afraid of him. Mm. By the way, he's got even more tattoos when he comes out of jail the second time, or third time, however you're counting this. Yeah. So Jamie decides he's going to take his anger out on Jane's seven-year-old son. Remember, she had kids right. before she married him. So he throws him out of his bed while Jane is watching, and Jane just – she snaps. She goes crazy on Jamie, and she gets out a knife, and she threatens him. And when she does this, Jamie then – what do you think he does? <laughs> Your guess is good as No, mine. I want you to take a guess. This is a violent guy, all – Tatted up. He's physically I, abusive. I can imagine. She pulls a knife on him. What does he do? He probably walks right up to her and tells her to stab him. He calls his grandmother to come pick him up. <laughs> okay. okay. I was way off base. That's why I wanted to set you up for that one. <laughs> he calls his grandmother. She's being mean to me. Come pick me up. <laughs> so he's okay with threatening other people, but he's surprised and he's hurt. By his wife standing up for herself. How could you do this to me? I mean, there's such a mental disconnect going yeah. on here. And yeah. this is just the tip of the iceberg that's going to take down the whole damn Titanic. Just wait. <laughs> he leaves the house, but he's back again really soon. He's ready to push Jane to her breaking point. So when he comes back and acts a fool again, Jane calls the police again, and he goes back to prison for seven months. Mm. He is released on Halloween, October 31st, 2011. <laughs> yeah. How appropriate is that? No, you have, you have no idea. You yeah. have no idea. This is one of the most brutal true crimes I have ever researched. Really? Yeah, it really is. Just hang on. Hang on to your britches, people. Right. Let me put my seatbelt on. Put the seatbelt on that we didn't have or did not wear in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Let me climb in the back window. Yeah. As soon as he is out on October 31st, 2011... He's back on his bullshit, and I wrote it in the script, and I'm leaving it in there. <laughs> okay. He's back to harassing Jane. He's calling her on the phone to threaten her. He tells her he's going to kill her. Mm. She actually has a restraining order against him at this point, but he's threatening to kill her and the children. And then he would show up and stand on her lawn and stare through her windows. <laughs> Just stand there wow. and stare. That's it's not like, intimidating at all. Yeah. I mean, all I, I kept when I was reading that and researching it, I kept thinking about the movie Halloween, the first one, another movie from the 70s. Yeah. I think it's 1979. Or is it 1980? just standing out there staring. Yeah. Is that 1979 or 1980? I have no idea. It's late 70s, early 80s. But yes, when he's just standing out there staring and it's the exact same thing. He would be standing in the yard staring. She's creeped out. She calls 911. The police show up. He's gone. Just like Jason. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, he's been out of prison for a week. Wow. A week. November 8th, 2011. Jane gets another phone call saying, put on the news. And I think the quote was, quote, put on the news, bitch. I just killed a woman at El Morocco Motel, end quote. It's Jamie calling Jane. Wow. And she's thinking... He could actually do this. This could be real. This right. could not, you know, I'm scared of him. 
this could be the real thing. So she calls 911, but the police don't do anything. They don't follow up on her tip at all. They say nothing. Okay, whatever. It's, you know, well, these two are on record. I mean, they've got a police record of domestic abuse and... Yeah, but if you've got a guy that's uh, that's violent and you've got somebody calling saying, hey, listen, I just got this phone call and this is what happened, you'd think that they would at least entertain the idea. You would think that, yeah. but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they were busy with other bodies and things that were real right. to them and right. not just a, this might have happened sure. at the El Morocco Motel. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But five days later, police get a call from the El Morocco Motel. Housekeeping has found the dead body of 37-year-old Yvette Pina. And Yvette is a loving mother with six children whose ages range from 6 to 25 years old. She was busy. She lived in Bakersfield, California. I had I did read that she didn't have the best childhood either. Mm. These are just a lot of broken people, but she sure. didn't have the best childhood either, but she was also a Sunday school teacher. So mm. she had really like pulled her life together. Sure. And so when this body is found, the police are like, "Wait a minute. Didn't we get a call about this?" Yeah. Didn't somebody call and say something about the El Morocco Hotel? Yeah. Yeah. And police don't know it yet, but Jamie's DNA is all over the crime scene. Mm. They go looking for him. They can't locate him, but they get a tip that Jamie has gone not to his grandparents' home, but to his great-grandparents' home. Five days after Yvette's body is found, they put two and two together and they go arrest him at his great-grandparents' house. And Yvette had been killed by blunt force trauma, stabbing and asphyxia. She had a knife and a pair of scissors in her back, mm. and she had been gagged. Her body had been mutilated. They do not talk about it. The details of the crime scene are never really released, other than to say that authorities said it was the worst crime scene they had ever encountered. Wow. It's thought that Jamie killed Yvette slowly and sadistically. It was a brutal murder. He made her suffer the whole time. So now they've got Jamie in custody, and he tells police that, I didn't have anything to do with Yvette's murder, and I hope they find the person who did this. That's terrible. And even though police have Jane's statement about Jamie telling her that he had murdered a woman at the El Moroccan Hotel, he tells police that Jane's lying, and she is setting him up. (laughs) So Yvette had no ties to Jamie whatsoever, except she looks very, very similar to his estranged wife, Jane. Ah. So they ask him, did you kill her because she looked like your wife? To which he says, if I wanted to kill my wife, Jane, I'd kill my wife, Jane. Probably not the, the wisest thing to say to a, to a cop. Well, I mean... This The balls on this guy. Just wait. Just wait. And remember I said his DNA is everywhere and they have enough to charge him. So Jamie goes back to jail to await trial where he gets even more tattoos, including a pentagram on his forehead. Does he have any room left? They wait uh, on his face, not on neck. Not really. No. Wait, Wait till you see the pictures. Okay. From jail, Jamie starts calling Jane and telling her he's coming for her. He's going to make her pay for what she's done. And he even gets other scary inmates to call and threaten her. Jeez. I mean, I wrote in the margin of my script, don't pick up the phone. Yeah. I mean, don't you have to agree to speak to someone from the inside of a prison? Well, and two, I mean, this. what year is this, 2012? 2011. 2011. There's a thing called caller ID. Yeah, well, and once again, I'm pretty sure when you pick up the phone, it says you have a call from yeah. the prison. <laughs> yeah. And do you want to talk to this person? Well, and that was the other thing I was going to ask about. Uh, when he called her to tell her, uh, Jane, that he had killed this woman at the at the motel. Right. Couldn't they go back and look at records and see if he had made a call? I mean, did he call from a cell phone or what did he do? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. My guess is that he called from a cell phone. Yeah. I mean. They just didn't look into it. Yeah. At all. Right. I mean, she called and said, look it. 
he is totally capable of doing this. And right. they're like, yeah, lady, we're a little busy. Yeah. So five days later, housekeeping finds yeah. the body. To which I, my question is, why five days later? Right. Unless, you know, there was a do not disturb sign, but wouldn't you have to have the the hotel room paid up for five days? I mean, there's just, there are a lot of questions in there. Sure. A whole lot of questions. Sure. But while he's in prison, Jamie tries from jail to get social services to take away Jane's kids, and he's trying to hurt her however he can. He also writes prolifically to Child Protective Services about Jane. She's a bad mom. She should never have custody. He would also send Jane letters in the mail, letters that were written in blood. And the letters would say, Hail Satan. And they would be covered in pentagrams. He also sent her through the U.S. Postal Service an envelope whose contents were a smashed, flattened, dead rat. Oh, gee whiz. That is, that's a bad day. That's a bad day at the mailbox. You think going out and picking bills up out of your mailbox is bad? Yeah. If somebody sent you a dead animal, how did that make it? Through the post office. I don't know. Did they hand stamp it? I mean, how did it make it? didn't get like fed through the machine. So it wasn't from Hallmark. <laughs> that is not that is not a Hallmark card. Oh, right. Lord. Jamie's also caught with a letter that he sent to someone outside of jail with instructions on how to kill Jane. So he's sending letters outside of jail. Go kill my wife. My estranged wife. Take my wife, please. But I'm bumpchy. Now, Jane's going to be arrested during all of this for child cruelty. What? And it wasn't because of all the noise that Jamie was making. She hit one of her children, and then the kid told somebody. I believe it was like a counselor at school or something. And Child Protective Services has all, they have all these letters from her husband in jail and. She's got a record, and I yeah. either if the child has a bruise or whatever, yeah. So wow. she's arrested. Okay. And while Jane is being transported in a prison van from court to jail, inside the van is Jamie himself. Oh, He's being no. transported from God knows where. Uh. And how they end up in the same van, who the hell knows? But you're going to see that maybe Jamie has some control over guards or... This is like a movie script. Oh, I'm just telling you. Wow. Regardless, here's how this is going to play out. Jamie is locked in an area of the van and he can't get to Jane. So it's like compartmentalized and Mm -hmm. he's like locked inside a cage in there. Right. But Jane is in like the general population, so to speak. She's in the yard of the van where she and another female inmate are sitting. And while they are en route, Jamie says to the other woman, quote, do it now and you'll get the drugs, end quote. And the other woman starts beating Jane within an inch of her life inside the van as it's screaming down the highway. She's screaming for the guard who is driving to stop. He does not stop. Wow. She isn't hurt enough to go to the hospital, but the guard did not care. And that is a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh Oh, here it comes. Wait, let me do my thing. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, good. <laughs> now, while Jane is in jail after her scary van ride, Jamie tries to get another inmate to murder Jane. He somehow finds out what her cell number is, and he actually puts a price on her head for anyone who would kill her mm. while she's in jail. But he's caught doing this, and eventually the charges against Jane are dropped, and she does go home. But she has a mental breakdown once she gets out. After all of this, yeah. she she literally has a, a breakdown. And Jane will later find out that Jamie has since told a guard that he wished he'd killed Jane himself that day in the van. Wow. Meanwhile, Yvette Pena's family, they want a pound of flesh for her murder, as they should. Yvette had her own troubled upbringing, which I told you about. She was really close to her sister. She basically raised her little sister, Danielle. This was a family who loved her very much. 
and Jamie has zero remorse for murdering Yvette. He tells authorities that he planned on continuing to murder, and if he could go back in time, he wouldn't change a thing. Hmm. He'd do it all over again, and if he's ever released from prison, he'd commit murder again and be right back. Wow. But it's been five years since her sister's death, and still nothing has happened. A trial date is set for March 27, 2017, but three days before, Jamie agrees to be interviewed by a journalist. Olivia Lavoice is her name. And what he tells her before the camera starts rolling, he actually says to her, I did it. Hmm. So... All this time he's said, no, 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 it's not me. I hope they find her. And then right before this trial is going to happen, after it's been dragged out for three years, he tells this reporter, I did it. But they don't have it on camera. Well, she then turns the camera on. And let me tell you what, I've read a little bit about her. She She's the one that has the podcast. She's like a l- young fledgling reporter. Mm-hmm. And she sits in a room with this guy. You can see some of the YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. He's like in his jumpsuit and his, you know, feet are shackled or whatever. She's not that far. She's not even social distancing from this asshole. She's not even six feet away from him. Right. But she starts asking him questions and he just says, I did it. And so they get the cameras rolling. And then he says on camera, quote, I'm sadistic. I really don't care. I'll do it. And I'll do it over and over and over and over. Wow. And then end quote. And then I wrote in the margin, dude. Two overs were enough. You you overdid it with the overs. We get it. So she starts pressing him for more information. I mean, what else could she get out of him? And I was thinking as I saw this, I was like, this is like this is like Pulitzer Prize winning stuff. I mean, this is like Emmy television award stuff. And he starts talking about his childhood and he tells her all about the abuse he endured. Quote, Since I was a kid, eight or nine years old, I killed animals. My mom would go to the store. I'd put the cat in the freezer for 15 minutes and then let him out. Then I'd put him in the oven, then let him out. Mm. So he's very disconnected from everything. And remember, he would cut as a kid. And the tattoos are also him trying to feel something. And there are a lot of shrinks out there who this guy's been, you know, psychologically profiled out the yin yang. But there are a lot of talented psychiatrists who say he deliberately tattooed his face because it was more painful. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, the fact that he started cutting himself at such a young age, what, was he like 10? Mm-hmm. Gee whiz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just... Uh... When she asks him about murder, he says, quote, it's a rush. It's an addiction. It's a drug. I would rather do that than do drugs. I'd rather do that than have sex with the... F- beautifulest woman in the world. I don't care if you're a lawyer. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a gang member. I don't care if you're my brother. I don't care if you're my sister. I don't care if you're whoever. It's self-gratification. Wow. So he's an equal opportunity murderer. Apparently. (laughs) He goes on, I did it sadistically, premeditatedly, not a word, deliberately, I would torture and murder. Mm. Yeah, he did all of these things to Yvette Pena on purpose. Wow. After this, he confesses to two more murders, the two that I told you about in the beginning. The first one, he was 13, and one was in 2007, a 32-year-old female. It was his first taste of murder. He couldn't get enough of it after that. And when they ask him if any of this is gang-related, remember he was part of a gang? He says no. No, not part of a gang. This had nothing to do with being in a gang. His trial goes ahead three days later, and he takes a plea deal. He takes a plea deal to avoid the death penalty. Well, dude, you're going to hell. So (laughs) I think I'd probably want to stay alive as long as I could, too. Yeah. But they're saying that this was his way of being in control. He was dragging this out all these years. All these little trials, all these things in front of the judge, every single time Yvette Pena's family would have to come out and they'd be there. He was just dragging it out. And then when it was time to go to trial, after everybody had done all the work, he says, I'm just going to take a plea deal Mm. to avoid the death penalty. And being in court, he loved being in court with Yvette's family because he would mock them. He would roll his eyes. He would smirk as her family would, like, address the court. Wow. 
And when he's sentenced to life without parole, Jamie, who is now 29, gives a thumbs up to Judge John S. Summers. And when the judge says, look, dude, you're going to die in prison. He doesn't say that. I'm paraphrasing. He waved at Yvette's relatives before deputies could take him away. And Danielle Gonzalez, who is Pena's younger sister, told the court, there's no such thing as closure when someone you love dies in, quote, such a tragic way. The pain she feels is the same as it was when she was first notified of the killing. That's what she's telling the court. You know, you get to make a a victim impact statement. Right. And she says this, quote, five years, six months and two days later, the hurt is still just as bad as the night that I got the knock at my door, end Mm. quote. Wow. Can't imagine. So Jamie pleads guilty to five charges, including first-degree murder, and Gonzalez, during her comments to the court, said that Jamie Osuna has smiled during the 12 court hearings she attended in the case, and she said that she hoped one day he would feel remorse, and Jamie Osuna immediately looked at her, shook his head repeatedly, and mouthed no. Wow. Pure evil. So he's just taunting this family. And for five stinking years, he said he was innocent and made this family go through hell, which was his whole that was his whole intent. Sure. So Jamie Osuna is now in prison without the possibility of parole, but he's not done. Mm. He's not done yet. Jamie arrives in prison and it's decided that he's too dangerous. He needs to be alone. And the Cochrane State Prison where he's housed, they know Jamie's a dangerous guy. They actually know that a man who says, if I get out, I'm going to murder again, could very possibly murder someone inside the prison walls, right? Right. In fact, Jamie was charged with attempted murder while he was in jail prior to his conviction. He'd been caught with a shank and a hatchet-like weapon Mm. on two separate occasions. He had attacked another inmate, sending him to the hospital for 67 stitches. He slashed him in the face. Wow. Later, Jamie's going to ask to see the photos of the injuries. He wants to see what he's done to him after they've taken him away. He wants to see his work. This is a guy who wants to kill people, and he's telling them, I want to kill, and he's attempting to do so in prison. Right. He would write messages in blood on his walls. At one point, he somehow got his hands on a carton of blood. That's what I read. What? He somehow got his hands on a good amount of blood, like in a milk carton. Maybe he collected it in a milk carton. I don't know. But he threw it at a prison guard. So all of this happened just in jail, those five years before he even goes to prison, even before he takes his plea deal. They know what a bad guy he is. Sure. So after he's convicted, what do they do? Well, he's recommended for placement on a mental health unit, and he's obviously mentally ill. Right. But he's also obviously extremely dangerous. Right. When he's out of the mental health unit, where, by the way, he would refuse to take any drugs, on March 7th, 2019, at the age of 31, Jamie Osuna gets a cellmate. What? For the very first time. Wow. And this was a good idea because... Well, I mean, this is just... How would you like to be that cellmate knowing Mm. you get assigned to this guy? Well, let me tell you about him. I'd be like, I'll never do it again. I swear to God, I'll never do it again. Mm. Here's who his cellmate is. His name is Louis Romero. He's a 44-year-old man who had served... 27 years for second-degree murder and was on his way out of the prison system. He was going to be up for parole soon. And it was why he had been transferred from his prison, which was Mule Creek State Prison, to Cochran State Prison in California. Lewis had moved to L.A. from Guatemala when he was 16 years old. By the time he's 17, he's in the wrong crowd. He's in a gang. Mm -hmm. He shoots and kills a woman in Compton, California, that's part of a rival gang. And while in prison, Lewis found God. And based on the letters he sent to his family members, he was really, really trying to turn his life around. Right. On March 7th, 2019, Ramiro arrives at the Cochran State Prison. Here we go. Okay. 
but now he's at Jamie's prison. Mm. And for all reasons still unknown, they made Lewis the cellmate of Jamie Osuna. That's just insane. It is. It's Good it's crazy. Great. He moves in with Jamie on March 8th. On March 9th, 24 hours after these two become cellmates, Lewis is dead. Mm. March 8, 2019, the prison staff did not conduct the regularly scheduled inmate checks. These happen every day and every night, every 30 minutes, right? Right. It's got a Jeffrey Epstein vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. This sounds like a little bit of a setup. Mm. In the cell that housed Jamie Osuna and Louis Romero, a white sheet is covering the window. You can't do that. That's forbidden in prison. Yeah. But the prison staff didn't investigate or tell him to take down the sheet. In fact, they only go to check on this cell in the early morning hours of March 9th. And so is somebody on the take here? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. Hang on. When they take the sheet down, prison officials realize that Louis Romero no longer has a head. Ugh. He had been decapitated. Oh, my God. He had been cut up. Using a razor blade attached to a handle, Jamie Osuna disfigured Louis Romero, cutting out one of his eyes, mm. chopping off one of his fingers, Jeez. removing part of his ribs, and slicing out one lung. Mm. He ultimately cut off his head, he also posed the body. He sliced Romero's face open on either side of his mouth to resemble an extended smile. Jeez. So, yeah, his unattached head had been cut at the corners of the mouth to look like the Joker. Yeah. And it's important to note that one of the tattoos that Jamie has is the extended lines on the corners of his mouth, like the Joker. Wow. And like sort of the weird triangular things over his eyes and over his eyelids. Wow. This is the worst part. This is gruesome. Jamie Osuna is wearing a necklace made from the body parts of Lewis. <sighs> Jamie had done all of this with a small razor, and on the wall written in blood, it says... I am the man with a thousand faces. Mm. He admits to the murder, but he pleads not guilty. Not guilty. <laughs> and here are some of the conspiracy theories, okay? It was a setup. That's what you said. Lewis was supposed to beat up Jamie, or Lewis was supposed to be attacked by Jamie. It's not the first time this sort of thing has happened at this particular prison. It's known as being one of the most dangerous prisons in the United States. Corcoran Prison was the home of Charles Manson, Rodney Alcala, the dating game guy, mm -hmm. the dating game killer, which yeah. was one of our episodes, and even Sirhan Sirhan, the killer of Robert Kennedy. Mm. But there have been lots of reporters who have done stories on the brutality of this place. And it's not just prisoner against prisoner. It's guard against prisoner. Oh, wow. They had like gladiator fights, prisoner oh. on prisoner, where the guards would take bets. Oh, my gosh. And they would also shoot the inmates who were fighting. So there were 50 inmates shot over five years while this gladiator-type fighting is happening in the yard. You would think with 50 within five years that there would be some sort of red flag or investigation? Well, yeah, 50 of them are shot. Seven of them died. Wow. But what the guards would say is, you know, this happened. It was out of our control. He was going to leave. He was unruly. I had to shoot him mm. kind of thing. Sure. There are those who have said that this prison has changed, and the two prison officers were just slapped on the wrist. They lied during their internal affairs interview. There were even reports of screaming that night while Lewis is being murdered. Hmm. I mean, how long does it take to cut off a man's head with a razor blade? Yeah. I've... And he dismembered his body wow. and mutilated it. Wow. In January of 2021, a judge said that Jamie Osuna wasn't competent to stand trial for the murder of Lewis. And Jamie has even requested, just like before when he slashed the guy in the face, he has requested the crime scene photos of his murder of Lewis. He wants to see his handiwork. Hmm. 
So he was transferred to a psychiatric inpatient program for treatment where psychiatrists months later said he has been restored to competency, meaning he understood the charges against him and could assist legal counsel in preparing a defense. Okay. But just last month in July of 2022, Jamie fired his defense counsel. Jamie Osuna, who is now 34, flanked by eight detention deputies, requested a Marsden hearing, and Kings County Judge Michael Reinhardt cleared the courtroom to hear why new counsel should be appointed. But before he did, Jamie Osuna waves to an unidentified woman who's sitting in the courtroom, and the judge told him to knock it off. And a Marsden motion is a formal request made by a criminal defendant to the court. The court hears arguments on the motion from the defendant and the attorney without the presence of the prosecutor. Okay. So he that's what he wanted. He wanted all this to go down without the DA there. Gotcha. The courtroom reopened a few minutes later, and Reinhardt announced that he had granted Asuna's request, and Hugo Gomez Vidal was appointed as Jamie Osuna's new attorney. And a hearing was scheduled last month where Gomez Vidal, after reviewing tons and tons of court documents and medical records, will say that he disputes the psychiatrist's findings that Osuna is competent to stand trial. So that's really the only leg he has to stand on. Sure. He's crazy. Right. He's knocking fucks. <laughs> yeah, big time. And this hearing has been put off for September of this year, September of 2022, next month. And Judge Reinhardt also believes that Jamie Osuna isn't entitled to a jury trial. It's going to be a bench trial. The judge will hear the case instead. Okay. Now, a lawsuit, as you might imagine, has also been filed over why Louis Romero was even in a cell with Jamie Osuna. Yeah, exactly. Why the officers did not discover the grisly scene early is not detailed in any reports. But a lawsuit by Romero's family says that the cell bars were covered with a white sheet, suggesting that the guards failed to make a thorough check of the cell. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. The Department of Corrections has disputed the findings of the reports, saying in a statement that it had conducted a, quote, thorough and complete investigation from the very beginning, end quote. To which I say, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. A little too little, too late. Yeah. The attorney for the Ramirez family, his name is Justin Sterling. He said the reports outline the department's, quote, veil of secrecy, end quote, that obscures officer misconduct. Quote, the idea that my client had to sue in order to get basic answers about her son's death is disheartening, end yeah. quote, which I totally agree with. Sure. That's crazy. Yeah. He was, you know, he turned his life around. He was right. on his way out. No one had ever been a cellmate of Jamie Osuna. So why start then? Yeah. And the fact that he was considered a very, very dangerous man. Yeah. And they had kept him away from, you know, general population. Yes. For this reason, because he said he wanted to murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, there's something fishy hinky, going on. Yeah. Hinky, hinky, hinky. With a capital H. With a big O H. So what do the psychiatrists say about Jamie Osuna? What's his diagnosis? Borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and unspecified schizophrenia spectrum. Hmm. But let's talk about his fascination with the Joker for just a second. Okay. I told you he has that smile tattooed on his own face. Right. And he cut Lewis's face the same way. He sent a letter to the DA with her photo inside where he drew the Joker smile on her and underneath it, the words that said, quote, why so serious, end quote. Gee. It's on the bottom of the letter. That's a line from the very first Batman movie. Why so serious? Oh, that's right. Uh, Jack Nicholson. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's actually a movie quote in this case. <laughs> yeah. 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 I didn't even have to work at it. Well, you didn't have to do a thing, honey. I did all the heavy lifting for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. But why so serious? Wow. And here's what Jamie Osuna says. He said that killing gives him a rush and a sense of fulfillment. Quote, I love what I've experienced to this day. If I could go back in time and change anything, would I? No. Mm -hmm. I would go back and do it again. And if I'm released, I will end up here again with the same kind of case, wow. end quote. So we wait until the end of this year to find out what happens to Jamie Osuna. But that's the story. And that's all I have to say about that. 
Hitch to Homicide listeners. This is Chris Calvert. I love doing research and writing about real crimes, but I also love writing about fictional people who commit horrible atrocities. When you're ready to take a break from true crime for fictional crime, go to chriscalvert.com where you'll find all my books, including some free ones to get you started. Jane Doe is one badass chick who quietly hunts terrorists in the United States. The Sex and Lies books are all FBI and CIA cases with a little romance on the side. And coming summer 2022, book 10 in the series, Sex, Lies, and Rock and Roll, releases. You can find all of these books everywhere, and if you like to listen instead of read, you can find them all on Audible. So go grab a free book or take a listen. I love all the characters I've written. I've given them pain, ruined their lives, make them suffer, and maybe even throw in a heroic death. Or maybe they live to fight another day. Check it all out at chriscalvert.com. And thanks for being a listener of Hitched to Homicide. So we have to wait and see if Jamie's going to uh, going to pay the price. Well, I mean, it's California, so there's. it's not like he, he – I guess he can be sentenced to death, but yeah. there hasn't been a death in California it's just forever. One, one twisted individual. So, yeah, he just gets to stay, hopefully, in his own cell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. mm. It was a cra- that's the crazy story. Just wait till you see these pictures. Wait till you see these pictures. <laughs> Gee. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move to something a bit lighter. All right. Let's do it. Let's do a little bless your heart. Well, bless your heart. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I should have used you. Okay, Dateline, New York City, the Bronx. This one is from the Village Voice. Oh, okay. Yep. When you're thinking about stealing some cash, why don't you try dressing up like Darth Vader? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or handing the teller a bouquet of flowers. Or being old. There are many creative ways to deceive law enforcement, but this morning, Nakia Shaw of the Bronx decided to go a different route through the back door, if you will. Oh, gosh, that can't be good. Yeah. And the, the, the key phrase here is the back, back door. door. Yeah. Uh, this is from uh, the New York Post Daily Police Blotter. And this is how it reads. <laughs> <clears throat> Let me clear my throat and get ready for this one. A cheeky thief who puts a stolen... Oh, wait, wait. Cheeky. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Yep. Okay. Yep. I know door. where this is going. Backdoor and cheeky. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You put those two things together, yeah, you pretty much see this one driving down I Main know. Street. Yep. A cheeky thief who put a stolen $20 bill and two glass pipes up her butt was arrested, <laughs> cops said. Nakia Shaw, 28, strolled into the Golden Crust Restaurant at White Plains Road. Wait. And- what? What's the restaurant called? <laughs> the Golden Crust. Okay. It's not even the Golden Corral. It's the Golden okay, Crust. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> restaurant at White Plains Road and Allerton Avenue Tuesday at 845, 8.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. Barked, give me that money at a customer, grabbed a bill from her and fled, cops said. <laughs> the victim chased the thief into an apartment. guy. <laughs> Stop. I can't get through this. You keep laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I just had a visual of her like snatching a $20 bill out of somebody's hand. I know. The victim chased the thief into an apartment building, sources said. Police grabbed Shaw, who admitted she had the money, then yanked the bill and the pipes containing the tar-like substance Ooh. from her rear. Oh. Authority said. Like right in front of everybody? Yes. <laughs> Excuse me, just a second. <laughs> oh, gosh. I hope the victim didn't want, because the vic, you said the victim chased, they, you don't want that $20 bill back. <laughs> Nobody wants that $20 bill back. No, it kind of reminds me of Blazing Saddles. Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh. Okay. For the sake of Nakia's health, we must recommend that if she must steal, she find another way to creatively conceal her contraband. That's very kind of them to put that in there. I know. <laughs> They're just thinking of her. They are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're just giving tips. Oh, sharing is caring and caring is love. I guess. Is this the point where I get to tell everybody mm-hmm. that you absolutely love 
the shows where people have contraband <laughs> in their body cavities and they're trying to get through like Venezuela or somewhere to catch a smuggler. To catch a smuggler, is that Best what it's called? TV show, yeah. They have t- uh, to catch smuggler Rome, Bolivia, United States. I mean, it. They cover yeah. everything, and it's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So just don't. Don't don't take drugs anywhere for anybody. Just don't do drugs. Yeah. That's the end of the story. Yeah, Just don't do drugs. You're not going to get away with it. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, the the money, I think they would probably be like, "Okay, you can keep that." But yeah. the other stuff that are in the body cavities, <laughs> I'll just stroll through the room and he'll be watching this and I'm like, "Oh my god." No. Love that show. No. Well, if you have a bless your heart or a story about a body cavity, I suppose, <laughs> um, all you have to do is go to hitchtohomicide.com. You can, like, pull down the little menu. You can send in that form or you can yep. email chris at hitchtohomicide.com. Make sure in the subject line you put bless your heart. Mm-hmm. I just pass them along. I don't read them. <laughs> go join the in-laws and outlaws. So many great people in there. Yeah. That's all we have today. That's my amazing husband over there who loves to watch people (laughs) transporting drugs across county, not county lines, across country lines. There you go. Through countries. (laughs) And that's my beautiful bride on the other side there. Join us next time on Hitch to Homicide. Bye, y'all.